The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Our gathering today is a time of joy and celebration and renewal around the greatest story, the gospel story. It's the good news of God's plan to rescue His people from the curse of sin and the sting of death by sending His Son Jesus to die in our place, making payment for our debt with His own life, and having truly died, Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today. Let's take out our Bibles and read along in Matthew chapter 28. I'll be reading from the resurrection account uh, from the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 28, verse 1. Here's what it says. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Thank God for his word. What an amazing story. This story begins in the tomb, but it ends with the risen Jesus. It begins with fear and trembling, but it ends in worship. It begins with mourning Jesus' death and ends with seeing Jesus face to face. This brief telling of the resurrection story is meant to make a very simple yet awesome point. And this is the point, that Jesus really died, that he was really buried, that he really rose from the grave, and he really is alive today. And this really changes everything. The resurrection is meant to impact us, to change us, to, to form our lives. He rose from the grave. It's not just a doctrine to believe, but, in, but it's meant to impact our hopes and our fears and our future. It's meant to impact our, our dreams and motivations and aspirations in our life. It's meant to form and impact our very lives itself. And consider this, each Sunday is the commemoration of an event that took place a very long time ago. 13 days and 1,985 years ago. At least that's the common agreement among Bible scholars. And a lot has happened in almost 2,000 years. A lot of people have made great contribution to the way that we live. Consider how you have been impacted by the many human accomplishments in the last 2,000 years. How many people drove to church this morning, for instance? No one? Well, then it's fair to say that you could, you could say that your life has been impacted by the contribution of people like Carl Benz and Henry Ford, who who are credited with the invention of the modern automobile and the process by which we could be, the, the, the cars could be produced on mass production. You live in, in contribution of 
Space exploration, every time you get on your cell phone and call a friend or family member across the country or even the world. We live in light of the contribution of people like President Eisenhower who signed a bill that created 41,000 miles of interstate so that you this summer could take your family to San Diego and it would take you less than six days to get there. If you love bacon, Consider the contribution of the pig who gave his life so that you can enjoy bacon. You see so many contributions. And yet we look at the resurrection, all of these great contributions that have been made, and as amazing as they are, nothing is as, as amazing as what has been accomplished for you on the cross out of the tomb. Jesus is alive. How does that change your life? How does that change your hopes and your fears? It is meant to impact you. It is meant to, to form your very existence. The, the doctrine of, of resurrection is not just something to believe. You see, we can believe the truths of the Bible, but has it changed you? And to what extent has it changed how you live your life today? Has it even impacted you? Consider that. What difference has the resurrection made in your life today? Could you tell me how it's shaped you, how it forms you? How you live differently this morning and this afternoon and tonight because Jesus is alive. Well, this morning, let's look at the resurrection. Let's look at the impact of the resurrection through these two experiences encountered by these two women in the story. The two Marys. Mary Magdalene, as she is known, and then the other Mary. Now, I don't know if Mary, who's known as the other Mary, was upset with Matthew, or Matthew was upset with her to get this name. I don't know if Matthew was hurt by her. Maybe he asked her out on a date and, and she rejected him. I don't know how she became known as the other Mary, but we have the two Marys and these two experiences. The impact of the empty tomb and the impact of the risen Lord. They're two different experiences, two different things. The experience of the empty tomb and then they experience the risen Lord. And they're two separate things with unique truths and communicate two unique, wonderful works of the resurrection. First, let's look at the impact of the empty tomb. The impact of the empty tomb means that the resurrection means that death is not the end. Death does not have the final word. The tomb being empty was not for Jesus' benefit, but it was for the benefit of the women. It was the benefit for us as we observe this, this historical fact. It was meant to communicate something to the women. Consider this where Jesus was already risen from the dead. He had already gone before his disciples to Galilee. Jesus rose from the grave and went to Galilee before the tomb was ever even opened. By the time the angel came down and opened the tomb, Jesus was already gone. Some of you might think, how could Jesus get out of the tomb before it was even open? That's impossible. Okay, think about what we're talking about here. We're talking about a man risen from the grave. Impossible checked out weeks ago. The tomb was opened for our benefit, not Jesus's. The meaning of the empty tomb is that Jesus was truly alive and he had conquered death and death is not the end. Many of you believe that Jesus has conquered death. Many of you believe in that doctrine and you have no trouble agreeing that death has been defeated and that one day too, when, when you die, you trust that you will be in relationship with God, that death is not the end for you, but you will have a renewed body, a resurrected body one day. 
and you'll be united with God forever. You'll be healed fully. You know that if when you die, you trust in God and he will save you. But you aren't so sure what the resurrection has to do with your life today while you're still alive. It has an impact for you when you die one day, if and when. But you don't know how it impacts you today while you're living. What does the empty tomb have to do with how you live your life today? Well, to get a better understanding of death, let's go to the very beginning of the story. And I mean the beginning, like in the beginning, God created. God spoke creation into being and made a a beautiful place for humans to live in peace with one another and with him and with creation. And God called man to trust in him and obey him, to believe in him, or they would die. But they didn't believe, and they did believe a lie from Satan. And Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit. And, and you know, they took a bite of that fruit, and what happened? Nothing. God said, you will die if you eat of this fruit. And so they ate of the fruit, and they didn't die, at least not right away. The Bible would even tell us that Adam lived another 930 years old. 930 years old. Was God bluffing when he said that Adam would die? Absolutely not. God was saying to him, if you, if you don't trust in me, if you give in to sin, you will have a, sin will have a death grip on your life and it will kill you a million times by bes- destroying your relationship with me, by destroying your relationship with one another. Your enjoyment of creation and everything that I've given to you for your enjoyment will be destroyed and eventually sin will take your life and you will die eventually, but not at first. The reality of death is that it is not just a final battle. The the death grip that sin has on our life is final. Eventually we will take our lives. Every one of us will die the mortality rate for humans is 100%. The battles that we face in life today are a result of the death grip of sin. The death grip of sin. Sin destroying our peace, our comfort. Sin influencing our hopes and our dreams. You see, the women at the tomb were experiencing a manifestation of sin's death grip on their lives. They saw Jesus arrested and crucified and buried, and they were broken. They were mourning. They were hurting. And they went to the tomb, the same tomb that they saw Jesus placed in. They went there again. Could you imagine what was going on that morning? Mary, do you want to go to the tomb again today? Do you want to go and be close to Jesus? Do you want to go and cry with me? They returned there again on that morning. And the angel comes to them like a lightning bolt and says, I want to show you something. Come and see where Jesus used to lay. He's not there. You know sin's death grip on Jesus. It is broken. How many times have you experienced death, the death grip of sin in your life? When you sin and feel shame, that's sin's death grip. When you have a loss and you feel grief, that's sin's death grip. When you're overwhelmed with worry and fear, that's sin's death grip on your life. 
when you sin and your first instinct is to hide and to lie, that is sin's death grip on your life. Or when you repeatedly question God's love for you no matter how many times He tells you He loves you, that is sin's death grip on your mind to lie to you, to deceive you, to confuse you, to wonder if God really is who He says He is. That's what sin's death grip does. And until we know a love that is greater than our sin, we will never be free from sin's death grip on our life. We may believe in the resurrection, but functionally we express disbelief in the resurrection when we let our problems rule our life. What problem is ruling your life today? You have to consider you may be living in unbelief today. You live as if sin's death grip remains and whatever pain you're experiencing gets the final word. Whatever discomfort or regret or wound that you are dealing with, that becomes your identity. That overwhelms you. That overwhelms your mind and your peace and your thinking. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that you're not a Christian, but it means that there is an area of your heart, deep in your heart, where the good news has yet to pierce your heart. And it's pursuing you, and it's pressing in on you, and it's hurting. And the good news is saying, Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Death and all its manifestations are powerless. The grip has been loosed. You are free. The tomb is empty. Death is defeated. The angel, in a clever way, he, he then, he's inviting the women to agree with him on the facts. Like, a de- like, a, like, a, like an attorney, a defense attorney walking into the courtroom, interviewing a witness. And the witness here is the women. The witness is the wi- are the women, and, and the angel is the defense attorney. And he approaches the stand, and he says to them, you're looking for Jesus, is that fair to say? Is that right? And they say, yes, yes, we're looking for Jesus. And he says to them, he, you know, Jesus said uh, in his testimony that he would rise from the grave. Do you remember him saying that? And the women say, yes, we, re- we recall that he said he would raise from the grave. And so the angel then says, so would it be fair to say, would it be accurate to say that if we went to the tomb, uh, the tomb would be empty if Jesus was right? And they say, yes, I, I imagine that that would be the truth. And he says, okay, look in the tomb. Look in the tomb. What do you see? Can we agree together that the tomb is empty? Yes, the tomb is empty. The tomb is, is normally a place of ending. A, the tomb is normally a place where the story ends. But not in this case. The story is not over. The story does not end with our sin and Jesus' death. In fact, it is the new beginning. The angel is inviting the women to agree on a new beginning of facts. It is a new beginning that is based on facts of God and what he has done. That God's love for us far outweighs our love and affection for him. That forgiveness is not found by distancing ourselves from our sin and the tomb, but in Christ defeating sin for us. Agreeing on the facts for this new beginning that our mourning, that our identity, that our life and our grief is not based on what happens to us, but it is based on a new set of facts that Jesus is alive and he has defeated death and the curse of sin 
and it does not get the final word in our lives. A new set of facts that the story continues for you and for me. For anyone who has experienced death and sorrow and pain and the death grip of sin on your life, the story is not over. Belief in the gospel is not a only a one-time decision, but it is an ongoing expression of our dependency and trust in Jesus, putting our faith in Him and standing firm in Him over and over and over again. It is not a receiving Jesus for salvation over and over and over again. It is a continual renewal and reminder of the good news that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, and our sin and our grief does not define us. We do not receive the gospel for salvation and walk away from that. But we depend on Jesus every day. We say, Jesus, you are alive, and because you are alive, everything broken can be made new. Every pain can be restored. And there is hope that is based not on my life going well, but there is hope that is based on who you are and what you have done and what you have said to me. The story continues. And where the story continues for the women here is in the risen Lord. And seeing the risen Lord, they have experienced the empty tomb for themselves, and now they are going to see the risen Lord. That's our second point. The second point is the impact of the risen Lord. That means the resurrection means that we can have a new relationship, a new life in relationship with Jesus Christ. The angel says, go. Go to Galilee, and there you're going to see Jesus. There are so many beautiful little words and details in this story. So many little things that I want to just slow down and show them to you because they truly are beautiful. You're going to see Jesus. What was it like to hear those words? It has been an excruciating, horrible three days for these women. Can you imagine? Their Lord, their Savior, their friend, the one in whom they have hoped that they would find relief from worldly oppression, that they would find hope in eternal salvation and forgiveness of sins, one that they would find a friend in God, shattered, broken. And the angel says, Are you ready to see him? You're going to go see Jesus today. Three days ago, you saw him crucified, but guess what? You're going to see him today, face to face, and Jesus is alive. Do you want to go see him? And so they do what you would imagine they do. They go and run all the way to Galilee, probably doing that half laugh and half cry thing that you see people do when they are filled with so many crazy emotions mixed emotions. They are filled with fear and joy. They run to see Jesus. When people don't know whether to laugh or cry because they're excited, they're afraid, they're filled with jubilee, they, they laugh and cry at the same time. Do you have a family member who does that? It's really awkward when they do it. When they're really happy and yet they're agonizing in their weeping The next time you see someone doing that half laugh, half cry thing, just look at them and say, He is risen! Jesus is alive! You're going to see Jesus. 
And then in Matthew verse uh, 9, he simply says, And behold, Jesus met them. Jesus met them. This means to literally go towards someone. Jesus never stops pursuing us. That's what he does. He never stops pursuing us. Jesus never stops running towards. Jesus never stops meeting us. Even after he has accomplished everything, he still pursues. Even after all the work has been done, Jesus can put up his feet and relax, but he is still pursuing those whom he loves. I wonder, who's pursuing who in this story? Is it the women pursuing Jesus, or is it Jesus pursuing them? Yes. Yes. That is what it means to know Jesus. That is what it means to live in light of the resurrection. That is what it means to be a Christian who has this fear and joy pursuing Jesus, that we are running towards him and he is meeting us. Isn't that a beautiful picture of love for one another? That one, God is not waiting for us and saying, when are you going to get your act together? When are you going to get on the path that leads to me? When are you going to pursue me? When are you going to get it right? How many times do I have to tell you and remind you of what pleases me? None of that happens. Jesus pursues them. He meets them. Isn't that a great picture of knowing Jesus where we pursue him with joy and he doesn't sit idly waiting for us to get our act together, but he meets us on the road. He goes before us. He is is before us and ahead of us, and yet he comes towards us to greet us. For many people, and I'm expecting many in here as well, God may feel like a distant and impersonal God. Of course, you might confess that God is love, right? It's the most, it's the the capstone of our faith and of God's character and nature that God is love, but we're still curious if he loves us in a personal way. You might be even thinking, would God meet me? Or would he just see me coming from a distance and, say, and shake his head and say, oh, well, better late than never, I guess. Would God meet you? Would he run towards you with joy? Does he like you like that? He loves you. If we believe that God loves us, yet we are disengaged, or we believe that, that, that he's unconcerned, he's disengaged, or that God is just simply unable to help us or to handle the daily stuff in our life, the daily burdens of our heart, that's, then saying God loves you to someone means so little. The best thing we could tell someone is God loves you. And if you hear that and you say, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But if, I, if you heard my story, you'd understand that you you would know that God might have a different view of me. I just love how Jesus greets them. He says, greetings. I know this is just like a, it's, it's a home, it's a common Greek greeting. It's, it's a homely hello. It's a, he comes and meets them and he says, hey guys. I mean, Jesus, like, that's seriously what he says. He has been killed and crucified and he is no longer dead and he's risen from the grave. And the first time he sees him, he says, hey everybody. You know, it's, how awesome is this? How great is this? This is what you would say when you're walking into the home of, a, of one of your best friends for dinner. It's what you said to someone that you came, when you came into the church this morning and through the doors and you saw a friend that you hadn't seen in a while. It is, that's the way you would talk. It's not the way you would talk when you went into a job interview. 
If you talked like Jesus the way you talk in a job interview, you wouldn't get the job. Hey, what's up, boss man? <laughs> do you know, that, do you feel in your heart that this is the way that the Lord greets you out of his affection for you? That he doesn't say, where have you been? What took you so long? Well, we were running here really fast. He says, hey guys, I know, right? Here I am. His affection for you will always outweigh your affection for him. He loves you so much. He is so happy to die for you. He is so happy to be alive for you. He says, hey guys. And I'm guessing when the other Mary hears Jesus say hello to her in that way, she doesn't feel like the other Mary. She feels like the Mary. Right? She feels like the only Mary. She feels like the only Mary in all the world. They both feel like that because they fall down and worship him at his feet. They both feel like he loves us and they fall down and worship. They're full of joy. They feel the affection of Jesus and they give their affection to him. See, the resurrection doesn't just bring about rescue from sin's death grip on us. It empowers us to live our whole new life today by the same spirit and power that rose Jesus from the grave. And it's all a gift. It's all by God's grace. He saves us from the old life and identity marked by shame and guilt, marked by the, death, the sin's death grip on us, and he gives us a new life and identity marked by his love and perfect righteousness. You see, the life, this new life and identity lived out by faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is an all-of-life response to the forgiveness we've, we have received through the gospel. This life of worship, the resurrection means that we can not only know God, we can worship Him, that our life can be formed by His resurrection that it isn't, I know that Jesus is alive, and yet here are all the beliefs in my life that help me get through my day. It means that we can know Him, that we can have His joy, that when we trust in Him, the same power that raised a dead man from the grave dwells in us, fills us, and gives us His peace. You know, deep down inside in, in all of us, there's this tendency to want to prove ourselves to God, to prove ourselves to others, even to ourselves, to prove ourselves to ourselves that we are worthy of the resurrection, that we're worthy of the crucifixion and all that it cost Jesus, that we are going to earn it. And we say, God, I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to be a good follower. There's a tendency then to base our worth on everything that we do from that point forward, from the point forward that we trust in Jesus, it is a tendency to base our worth, God's affection, His love for us, based on everything that we have done for Him. The resurrection is proof that our identity and our future hope and our present hope is not what we have done, but in what Christ has done for us and what He continues to do for us. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today is a day of salvation for you. And, and even if you're already a Christian, I want you to hear those words that today is a day of salvation for you. Because you may trust in Jesus, you may know him, but he might not be your hero. Your life may not look different today because he's alive. 
they could find a grave marked Jesus and there's a body in there and you could say, so tomorrow looks the same as it did today. Even if you're a Christian, today is the day of salvation where Jesus is the hero of your story, where you live in light of his empty tomb and his resurrection. When we put our trust in Jesus and commit ourselves to him, the Holy Spirit enters us with power, with his presence, and with his love, that no matter what our past or our present or whatever our future, we know that Jesus meets us in our life and says, my affection overflows for you. Go quickly to Jesus. He is alive today. And because of that, we do not need to fear the tomb. We do not need to fear sin's death grip on us because Jesus has defeated it. Go quickly to Jesus because he is alive. Do not be afraid. We will meet him. He will meet us and welcome us and give us his peace. The number one command, the most repeated command in all of Scripture is found in this passage twice. It is, do not be afraid. And the number one answer for why we should not be afraid is Jesus says, because I'm with you. I am with you. He is with you now because of the resurrection. Go to him and enjoy him. Let's pray together. Yes, what a wonderful day. By your power, God, you raised Jesus from death to life. Through his victory over the grave, we are set free from the bonds of sin and the fear of death to share in the glorious freedom as children of God. In his rising to life, you promise eternal life to all who believe in him. We praise you and ask as we pursue you in faith that we will know the power of the risen Lord, the risen Christ in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Help us to trust in you. Help us in our unbelief. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, friends, now we take part in a brief meal called the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, as it's called, is, is so that so it, we do this so that we would move from a plate away from just going through the motions of the gospel and believing in our head, but that we would never move too far away from rehearsing and enjoying the benefits of Christ. We eat and drink together. We eat and drink in faith in the resurrection of Christ. It's presented to us and reminds us of the impact and the, the efficacy of Jesus' empty tomb and his ridden, risen body. We remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed after giving thanks, he takes bread, he lifts it up, and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he takes the cup and says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And not only is this symbolic of Jesus' death and sacrifice for us, but it signifies the important reality of identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection. We identify in his death by repenting of sin and turning from our sin, turning from our unbelief and to trusting in Jesus for whatever is going on in our life, that he died for us in our place. He was a substitute for us, the great exchange. He takes our sin and our burden. 
He gives us his life, his joy, and his peace. And we identify with the resurrection of Jesus by trusting in his life as it gives us strength to live uh, strength and life for our soul as we take it. So listen to this. Jesus took our weakness and we accept his life. This meal shows us that he accepts our failure and we take his triumph. Jesus accepts responsibility for our faults and we take the credit for his righteousness. What good news. This meal represents not good advice. Good advice is Jesus did some great things. Follow him and if you obey, he'll love you. That's good advice. Actually, it's really bad advice. But the good news is that in spite of your failures, in spite of your weaknesses, Jesus meets you. He dies for you. He is alive today and he greets us with his love. If you don't, if you don't trust in Jesus this morning, Perhaps you still have questions. We ask that you would not take this meal, for to take this meal would, to, would be to compromise your authenticity. But instead, take Christ for the first time. Trust in Him. Cast your cares on Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And He, and he has never turned away a broken and a contrite heart that has come to Him asking for His mercy, for He loves to give it. If Jesus is your hope, if your hope is in the empty tomb and the risen Lord, then receive fresh the work of Christ for you this morning. Receive fresh the love of God as he greets us today in this meal. This communion with him and communion with one another where he's conquered death and taken our fear. We're serving wine this morning, uh, which is placed in the outer rings of the tray. We do have grape juice available that is in the inner rings if you choose to do that. We're going to serve everyone now, and then we'll hold the elements, and we'll eat and drink together after everyone has been served. Let's do that. Thank you. 